Welcome to Funding the Dream, a Game Whisperer podcast for Kickstarters. I am Richard Bliss, the Game Whisperer and the host of Funding the Dream, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to the 34th episode of our show. And one of the great pleasures I have of being the host of Funding the Dream is I get to talk to some amazing, awesome people. And I have two amazing, awesome people on the show with me right now, and that is Chris and Sherilyn, the genius behind Dice Hate Me Games. Chris, Sherilyn, welcome to Funding the Dream. Well, it's good to have you guys back. You uh, have been on the show before. I've been on your show, the uh, the state of the game, and here it's late tonight. Just so those people who are listening, it is nine o'clock at night Pacific time. Chris and Sherilyn are in Raleigh, North Carolina, and it's past midnight. And I have to say thank you so much for staying up and being on the show with me so late. Sherilyn, it's a stretch for her, but I don't ever sleep, so I'm fine. I've I've noticed that on your Twitter account. So <laughs> I've noticed. So let's. Uh, what are we going to talk about? Well, first of all, before we even start, let's talk about you have uh, gone back to the well again and struck gold. I said on my little um, on my little update on my Kickstarter own Kickstarter campaign, I'm going to start calling you guys Midas because you just <laughs> everything you touch turns to gold. So, Viva Java, tell us how it's going. Uh, it's going great. Um, we're at thirty six six right now, and we have a little over seven days left in the campaign. Um, how many backers did we have? We have five hundred fifteen or something like that. Five thirty-one. Five thirty-one. Oh, yeah, five hundred thirty-one backers. We're at thirty-six thousand six hundred ninety-nine dollars right now. Um, our goal was fifteen thousand dollars, so we're well above that. We're into our third stretch goal, heading toward our fourth, and it's just been going great. We've had a lot of great backers, um, some repeat backers from Carnival, but also a lot of more, I guess we'd call hardcore board gamers, because this one uh, is a lot bigger than Carnival. I mean, there's a lot going on in this box. So, and this is this is a board game, right? This is uh, yes. Carnival was a card game. This is a board game. This is a board game, yeah. And it's and go ahead. And who does who designed the game? Uh, TC Petty the uh, Third. I met TC at Origins um, this past summer and played Viva Java. And after the first play, I was hooked. It was unlike any game that I really had ever played. It spoke to. Both of my game gaming sensibilities, and since Sherilyn has played it, it's spoken to hers as well. It's like we love Euro mechanics, but we're also very social gamers. We we like to uh, play the social game and to have interaction with other players. We like co-ops, but also uh, competitive games. And so Viva Java fits all of that into one package uh, very impressively with a lot of uh, just a lot of fun elements, a lot of you know just components and things and people talking and it's a it's a different animal than carnival but at the same time carnival is also very interactive with the other players that are in the game so we like that we like people interacting and, and always being um really immersed with each other in a game and this is okay, particularly exciting because it wasn't uh viva java clearly is not designed by chris or i so it's the first time we're bringing in another designer to work with and very gratefully, um, it's been a wonderful working relationship with TC and professionally as well as getting to know him personally. And that's another part of why we enjoy having Dice Hate Me games and why Chris originally started his blog, Dice Hate Me, was to reach out to other people. And the fact that we're making friendships along the way is an awesome bonus. Yes. And that is cool. So tell me, I got to ask though, um, does Viva Java come in a coffee can? 
No. For everyone out there listening, no, no, no. Um, How many times have you been asked that before? Oh, man, yeah. That's been the number one question. And the thing is, when we were brainstorming sort of the the feel for the game, and Sherilyn and I were sitting in bed one night just brainstorming different things, we we both love – Retro design and, and 50s, uh, mid-century modern design, things like that. The, the 50s coffee culture is, is, is just a great time in Americana. And we imagined this uh, cover that had a, a vintage coffee can on it. And I said, yeah, that would be great. I can make it an environment. It would be like in an old 50s kitchen. We can have it all kind of you know, meshed together. And so I created this you know, promo image. And the very first question I got was, wow is that coming in a coffee can? And I am kicking myself every day because I created that vintage, I mean, that promotional image and didn't put it on a box. It's just, you know. Right. We tried to price out coffee cans and tried to see if we could have a deluxe version. Shipping in a coffee can in general for a a game would be cost prohibitive simply because you can't fit as many in a crate. Um, But we tried to get together a deluxe version. The only problem with that is that custom 10 aluminum manufacturers won't even start to really quote you anything decent until you get to about 5,000 um, copies. And that's just not going to happen uh, unless we had D-Day this, That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen in this print run. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Not in this Good print run. run. But as soon as Viva right. Java hits the shelves and people just love it to death, then we can come out with a deluxe edition. So I hope that when Take the Bait comes out, people aren't going to ask if there's a real fish <laughs> in the box. <laughs> Or does uh, it come in a lake? <laughs> sure, sure. You know, it's interesting. I just, uh, my wife came across a Campbell's Soups uh, kind of Scrabble game. And it came in a Campbell's Soups, uh, large Campbell's Soups can. Yeah, I've seen that. They have it one, yeah. at one of the local stores here. Yep, and that's where she picked it up. She picked it up at Whole Foods here um, that she saw the, the game. So, yeah, you might, uh, there might be a specialty uh, down the road. I think a lot of people would love to see that because it certainly has struck a chord with a lot of people. And by the way, the kitchen that you have in the background, that I'm, now that I'm looking at the image, looks exactly like when we moved into our home, um, my wife's grandmother had built this home in 1949. And the cabinets and the kitchen looked exactly like what you have. And the, the avocado green. Yes. And the, yeah. I and love refrigerator. Our refrigerator that she still had was made by General Motors. Oh, Not wow. Not General Electric. It was made by General Motors. That's how old it was. Wow. Uh, yeah, amazing. So I forgot that uh, now I'm looking in the background. I'm like, oh, yeah, I thought you took that picture in my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we did. We've since, yeah, we've since renovated it. So Okay, so you guys have been doing this now. I call you guys the, uh, let's call it the second generation or the second wave of Kickstarters. And I'm not talking about Viva Java as your second project on Kickstarter, but you guys started um, Carnival last year in August, right? What was the date? August? 17th. August 17th of last year. And that that month in August was the first huge spike in Kickstarter because it was kind of going along, going along, just kind of uh, below the radar. And then August hit of last year and things went crazy. So you were kind of that first wave that, of the next second wave the first wave being the eminent domain and the alien frontiers folks right right that had been in 2010 you guys come along you got a a hit um hit project on it what's changed on kickstarter from august 17th when you guys launched carnival to today when you're in the middle of your viva java campaign it's um 
it's a little hard to describe. It's a very, it's, it's sort of just an, an environmental change. Well, first of all, I mean, Kickstarter has just exploded, obviously. When we were considering doing Kickstarter and I started covering Kickstarter back in 2010, and we've talked about this before, I mean, it was, it was still had a lot of support, but it was very grassroots. When we first started in August and there was that huge explosion, right as soon as we launched Carnival, all these other projects came out. In the aftermath of all that, in the beginning of this year, when we started Viva Java, it was very quiet. But now that we started Viva Java, there's been this huge explosion again. It's like it's, it's these little strings of bursts of huge amounts of funding. And Kickstarter's environment is a little bit different than it was in August simply because now you, know, you mentioned you know, like somebody who comes out with a $10,000 project and you say, okay, well, it's $10,000. They, they make their funding goal and then – they go off and you say, well, okay, that's fine. It's like now people are expecting because the bar has been set so high, it's it's a different atmosphere. And the bar can be set high because there are so many people coming in now looking for those unique um, uh, backed projects and things like you know like us and, and now Gunship is on there. It's doing gangbusters. Chicken Caesar is on there doing gangbusters. Um and a lot of that now has to do with the exposure of Kickstarter with Double Fine, uh, Tim Schaefer's uh, Kickstarter thing that just grossed over $2 million. There's so many new people getting involved with Kickstarter that it's no longer that Wild West atmosphere. This is uh, – it's gone mainstream. Well, and the fact, I think, that there are return visitors as far as companies that are putting their projects on Kickstarter. I mean, okay, the Alien Frontiers and Eminent Domain kind of – set the path for a lot of us. I mean, definitely us included. I mean, we used their projects as inspiration and guidance um, when there was none, no other. But the fact that Clever Mojo and Tasty Minstrel have come back and used Kickstarter again shows that it's a pretty viable way to, you know, drum up business and and draw excitement about your product. Yeah. And, and just really quickly, I think one of the things that's a little different now than when, even back in August, is that we're seeing more polished products. We're seeing, um, you know, like, well, not to our own horn, but Viva Java, we had all of our ducks in a row before we started. We made sure we had, you know, production art and a lot of different things set. But Chicken Caesar and Gunship, I mean, a lot of these that are coming out right now, and Farmageddon from Fifth Street, they have a lot of their art done beforehand. They have a fully polished game. And they're not just coming and showing up and saying, uh, can you help us get art? Can you help us do this? They're right. saying, we have a game. We just need help to get it to the printer. If you give us money, you will get a game, and and, and here it is. Exactly. It's not, uh, you know, fund our idea, and you'll be part of that development process. Exactly. Now, that's interesting. So I, I've got a question. So you're right. Um, you know, back when uh, Clever Mojo did Alien Front tears they raised what fourteen thousand dollars and you know they're falling all over themselves everybody was that that was such a huge amount of money yeah now if you raise fourteen thousand dollars have you failed (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I don't think so no but uh i mean it depends on the project obviously i mean you just have to look at the size of the project when you when you go back and look at alien frontiers and you think about fourteen thousand dollars i mean you know as well as as we do that fourteen thousand dollars is a drop in the bucket for a game of alien frontiers size sure you know what's amazing is that they actually got the game out for fourteen thousand dollars yes and now that we look 
the quality of the game, what ended up on the shelves, and that they only raised $14,000 to do it is like, wow. Yeah. How'd they do that? Yeah, David said that he had to max out several credit cards and, you know, make sure that he had everything ready. And he took, he took a big gamble on Alien Frontiers, and, and so did some of the backers. But it turned out, you know, really well. I mean, obviously, it was my game of the year for 2011, and a lot of people just have loved it. So, oh, sorry, 2010. 2010 game of the year. 2011 game right. of the year is Belfort. But anyway. Uh, right, which is, uh, which is not a Kickstarter game, but a game from a company that's basically being funded by Kickstarter. Exactly, yes. Right, Tasty Minstrel. Tasty right. Minstrel, right. So very different atmosphere as far as that's concerned. There, there are fewer, I guess I would say right now that there are fewer risks all the way around. It seems to be anyway. At least the product projects that people are finding, there are fewer risks in the fact that they're not going to get a product that's any good or not polished because they're seeing more of that polish ahead of time. But also they're getting a, a larger amount of, of funding in the back end so that they know they're going to get the production quality that they deserve and the producers and the publishers are not going to have to put as much of themselves into the product. But again, so, go ahead. Let, let me ask you that though um, because some of the concern is that you know we've had more – so there have been 55 projects uh, so far this year in the first six weeks of 2012. 55 projects. That's a lot of uh, Now, that's, that's not that's projects. That's not funded projects. Right. That's just projects overall. There were 110 funded projects in 2011 total. Whoa. That's card games, board games, dice games, everything. So 110 funded projects. We've had 55 projects so far in the first six weeks. So when you say that, um, and, and not to, 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 be, to take a counter position here, but... <laughs> Doesn't that kind of say that, um, and, and I want your opinion on this, is Kickstarter being flooded and now it's harder to, that the chance of getting mediocrity is actually increased possibly because there's so much more out there? That's an interesting, no, that's a very interesting point to bring up because I'm actually shocked at that number simply because, you know, I, we stay up to date on Kickstarter simply because we, we fund other projects. We, we like games and we like to help people who are out there funding projects. I guess it's because we, for whatever reason, we're a little bit maybe sheltered from those other projects or ones that we take a look at and we just know right off the bat that they're not really going anywhere. They're not really saying anything. Um, we're not right. going you know, to give our money to that. So in a way, yes, there is a ch- more of a chance that somebody could back something for mediocrity, but at the same time, now that they're seeing more projects that have their – uh, all the ducks in a row, everything that's 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 built into that front of the project, they're able to see the quality there before they invest, so it's a little bit less of a chance. Yeah, I think I think that's a valid point. Is that there's a kind of a there's a um, a quality divide, we'll call it, on Kickstarter right now. There's a few companies out there that have set the bar. So when you look, they all have a similar feel as far as the. Um, the full value that they've given. You guys fall into that. Dice Hate Me Games, your two projects, your Tasty Minstrel, your Clever Mojo, and then a few other game projects that are out there. You're like, okay, yep, I can trust them, know them, know where they're coming from, know where they're going, know what to know what to expect. Right? You're kind of yeah. uh, you're the you're the elite of the board game Kickstarter projects right now. And every <laughs> once in a while, somebody else, so and, and that's not just because you've you've got the the money. 
you know, it's the fact that you have consistency over time. And, and you, Clever Mojo, and Tasty Minerals have shown you're not a one-shot one you know, game company. You know how to consistently do a good job. You bring in additional talent, other abilities. And when I say you, I'm talking about uh, the, the three because we've seen some successful ones. But um, that consistency where you've actually integrated as part of your business model, I think people are tying into that. And then, yeah, you've got a whole bunch of new ones that are coming on the stage that are doing well, Gunship being one of those. Um, but they still have to prove the test of time, and that can only be done with time to get that confidence level over time. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, that. and that's one of the hurdles that anybody who's coming to Kickstarter now is going to have to – uh, face it, the fact that are they going to continue to produce, and if they do, are they going to continue to produce on Kickstarter, uh, or if they're just wanting to get their project out and that's going to be sort of it? Like Steve, who Steve Wood, who's behind Gunship, I don't know his intentions. Possibly he's just going to put out Gunship and then continue to support Gunship throughout the years as an expansionary or you know uh, IP. Um, but maybe he's got plans to do other games. We, sure. you know, we came out of the bat saying that we want to do other games. We want to right. launch off Carnival, and we want to be able to use that as a brand to continue to produce other games like Clever Mojo and Tasty Minstrel games. But that's the thing that's cool about Kickstarter actually right now is that you have a healthy mix of that. Like I, I really would doesn't say that he's going to uh, do any other games. However, Nevermore Games, who's doing Chicken Caesar, I know will probably do other games other than Chicken Caesar as long as it continues to be successful on Kickstarter. And they're off to and they're off to a great start. Let me yeah. share some numbers with our listeners about what's happening so far this year. Last year, um, of those 110, 115 uh, successful projects, 42% of those were board games, 30% of those were card games, 13% of those were RPGs, and then dice games and everything else made up the, the remind, remainder. In the last, in the first six weeks of 2012, board games still are at 42% of the funded uh, projects that are out there. But what has changed dramatically is that RPGs now make up more than a third, 36, 37%. $105,000 of RPGs have successfully funded so far, and then 16% of card games. So card games have, uh, you know, Carnival, fall, Carnival falling into that. Uh, is a smaller percentage. It's a huge, huge shift over last year. Now, obviously, the year has a ways to go, and we'll see a lot of games coming out. But um, the RPGs are going like gangbusters. And then one other stat to share with you, because we, we only have a couple of minutes. Time always goes by so fast <laughs> when I'm talking to you guys. Um, Kickstarter says that most their success rate for projects is 46%. The board game space as a whole, card games, board games, dice games, RPGs, is sitting so far this year at a success rate of 65%. Wow. Okay? That sounds great until we look at the numbers a little closer. Board games as a category within the general games category is succeeding at 46%. So less than half of the board game projects that have been put on Kickstarter so far this year have funded. Less than half, 46%. So it's right on the money with what Kickstarter says is the average. Uh, card games are the same thing. They're at 46% of funding success rate. Hmm. Less than half of the card games that are put out there are, are succeeding so far this year. Well, if, you, if people are following all in as they're listening and they're doing the math, well, wait a minute. 
It's 65% <laughs> overall, yet the two big categories. Uh, RPGs right now have raised $105,000, and they are funding 83% of the time. Wow. 83%. Eight out of ten projects out there, if, you, if it's an RPG, is funding. Now, there's a variety of reasons for that, but I've, I already said uh, on my show here at the beginning of the year that I thought this was going to be the year of the RPG. You guys have any comments or thoughts on that? What's going on here, those numbers that I just shared with you? Just phenomenal success rate for RPGs. Well, I, I do think the numbers are interesting, but there's also a factor that has to be taken into consideration that is dynamic, and that is what all the project's funding goals are. So. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not. A board game is more expensive. Right. A board, right now, the board games are averaging $15,000 success rate. So every board game is a $15,000 success rate. Uh, card games are right about $9,000. And RPGs are actually funding right now, averaging $8,000 per game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so yes, I th think. That has a when, huge impact on it. Yeah. When someone, when you say that a, a game or a project has funded, I mean, if we all set our goals to a dollar. It would be a hundred percent fund rate. It would. So it would, I think that's just have, a factor to take into consideration. But they've raised a hundred and five thousand dollars. So yeah, far that's this, uh, yeah, that's awesome. I think that a little bit tangentially related to what Sherilyn said, but and we the, only have a minute, Chris. And okay. I know how how long you can go on a tangential? <laughs> His draw might extend it might to extend three. It. That's right. Um, yeah. I, I I would say that on par with that, that RPGs probably are able to offer, offer, even if they have a huge production quality value, they're able to offer lower pledge levels. So somebody can get a PDF. So right, if, right, yeah. right. And there's a ton of people who will come in and say, yeah, I'll check out that PDF for like 10 to $15. I don't have to shell out $35 for a book. I can get a PDF for 10 to $15 now. So you double the amount of your backers and thereby double the amount of your funding at that level, and yet you still Good have point. people who come back and want that hardcover or softcover book and the extended you know, uh, pledge levels. Great, great input. All right, well, uh, always I hate to, uh, to end, but we've been, uh, we've been chatting for a while, and the, this is just the 20 minutes of a, of a very long conversation. I want to say thank you always to you guys. Um, and for your, Chris, you are the, my 50th backer on Funding the Dream Kickstarter project that's currently going on Kickstarter. We're at fifty six percent with you being our fiftieth backer and we're happy. We got about another ten days to go before that uh, that ends. Thank yes. you for that. No problem. Do we win a prize? Do you win a prize? <laughs> yeah, you got you you got to be on my show. Yes, I know. <laughs> that's true. It's a good prize. But uh, you guys always because you have such good stuff to talk about. And and we're out of time and I, I just hate to, to let you guys go, but I, I have to because you guys have to go to bed. <laughs> you have we have been ch chatting with ch uh Sherilyn and Chris from Dice Hate Me Games talking about Viva Java, Carnival, and some of the success and changes that we've seen in Kickstarter over the past year. Hopefully you've heard something uh, that's inspired you, that you've enjoyed, and that, you've, uh, th that you can use. We would challenge you, the three of us, to take your own project, become inspired, and we're looking forward to seeing it on Kickstarter. Yes. Go out there, be inspired, and, and go fund your dream. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you later. Take care. Bye-bye.